0: Are we going to seek him? Are we going to humble ourselves? And is this going to spread uh, to all 50 states? Is it going to not only affect college campuses, but I know, Lane, as you said at your daughter's wedding um, that some pastors texted you and said, wow, God's doing something in my church today. So I know it has hit those churches, of course, but many others as well. But is it going to keep going? Welcome to Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, and we are here every time to warn the nation from a biblical perspective and to help you respond in faith. And today we're looking at the recent move of God at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, and we're also talking about how to move forward from here. And I think along the way, there'll be a lot of insights, whether you're familiar with the idea of revivals or awakenings or you're not. I think there's going to be a lot of takeaways as we go here. So I'm sure there'll be some warnings as we go, but uh, also... The, the emphasis here is on responding in faith, and to discuss this with me today is Lane Johnson, who has preached around the country and actually experienced a move of God on a number of occasions, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to have you, Lane. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Dave. It's always good to be with you, and I'm looking forward to this discussion, brother.
0: Yeah, so a lot has been going on at Asbury University, and it's spread to other locations and so forth, and I I want us to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what we're thinking as this unfolded over the last few weeks, it really broke out on February 8th at that university. Um, But also I want us to land the plane, like where are we, uh, somewhat in favor of all that happened or somewhat uh, cynical, I shouldn't say cynical, I should say skeptical of all that happened. I kind of like to unpack that a bit, but I do want to point people in this direction from the outset, and that is whether we agree with 10% of what went on in this quote-unquote move of God at Asbury, or we agree with 95% of it, God is calling his people to seek him always and to trust him always to come and move in greater, his greater presence and power through his people and greater righteousness and his glory being revealed in his people. And so regardless of where we land the plane here on the first part of the podcast, I just want to get that out there. Everybody, we need to be seeking God. So with that said, Lane, give me your thoughts as uh, the, you've heard the first reports of what was going on at Asbury and, and since then, and um, if you have uh, any thoughts, concerns, uh, or, or were really excited about certain aspects.
1: Well, that's a pretty broad question. Um, it's Asbury began, well, almost exactly a month ago, um, I guess, and I was actually attending, helping to uh, officiate at my daughter's wedding on uh february the 11th and that night after the wedding i got about three different texts from three different people sending me links to what was going on at asbury so i I was so tired i didn't read it till the next morning and in my devotion time i began to read those accounts and immediately my heart began to be stirred in ways that it hasn't in several years just with the hope that this was again a movement of god that would spread like it did in 1970 which we look back upon as a significant spiritual uh, awakening and some degree of revival. Now,
0: before you go, before you continue, Lane, I just want to uh, interject that, that, that was 1970 Asbury. Again, something was ignited. N- not that these things have to be ignited at Asbury. Yeah. Um, and a case in point in that is that in 1995, I was part of a move of God that was similar to this and it really changed my life. And, uh, and it uh, it started actually in Brownwood, Texas. Um, but anyway, Lane, keep going.
1: Yes, well, and I know that that affected quite a number of colleges, particularly in 1995. I don't think that we would say that that had the widespread impact of what happened in 1970 and and really 69, 70, 71 and 72. But we're just on the front end of this. Is this just a, I guess the big question I have, is this just a momentary mercy drop of God that is spreading kind of like what happened in 1995? Or is this something more along the lines of what happened in 1970, where I believe the nation and the world experienced change because of what God was doing in that period of time? Only the Lord knows, obviously, but I will say that for the last month, my heart has been stirred in ways that I haven't been in probably a decade.
0: Awesome. And I feel the same way. I uh, At first, when I heard uh, probably a couple of days after this broke out, I, I heard about it in a more significant way, and then I began doing my own research and follow this for the next few weeks. Um, I I was wondering, okay, what do we have going on here? And there's always the skepticism of, well, uh, is somehow man uh, manufacture something here, or what exactly um, is going on? But as soon as I heard some of the early reports about that there were, Lots of students spontaneously gathering, coming to Hughes Chapel there, Um, and and it wasn't like a called meeting. I thought, well, that has caught my attention. And then also, very similar to 1995, was this uh, stories of people being broken over personal sin, like God was surfacing issues in, in people's lives, and they were actually publicly repenting of things that they had done. And so this is very unusual, um, you know, human nature is to hide and not to go forth maybe in front of a large crowd like was in Hughes Auditorium or where, where I found myself in 1995. That's not human nature to want to come forth with something um, that's not going to put yourself in a good light. And um, and yet God was prompting, there was a conviction there. And so I kind of began to to track this like you, Lane, and the more I tracked it, the more I was stirred.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um... And I know that there have been a number. I haven't really read The Skeptics, uh, except on very rare occasions. I just immediately began to go to um, people that I respected, and particularly people that I respected that had actually gone over to Asbury over the last month to experience and see firsthand. I really don't care what people think that have not been there and tasted and seen at a firsthand level. Everybody has an opinion, but I don't really care about everybody's opinion, and God didn't ask us our opinion. Uh, If God is up to something there, then we need to be open and sincerely seek him that he might be willing to pour forth more of himself. And kind of like you were saying, Dave, there are certain things that are just not natural for people to do, uh, to work things up at an emotional level or to contrive things uh, and to be mechanical is one thing. But when you see things that are spontaneous, and when you see people that have met really what it turned out to be for, what, six, 15 or 16 days straight for 24 hours a day. I mean, the one we refer to when God came down on Asbury in 1970 he went for eight days, which was unbelievable. Eight straight days, 24 hours a day, where the chapel didn't stop. And this one has been twice that long. I guess part of me is hopeful. Lord, are you going to pour forth twice as much of your grace and mercy upon our nation now, as you did in 1970. And again, obviously we don't know, but it is time uh, to set ourselves to catch the wind of God's spirit, I believe.
0: Right. And I I just want to return to that thought I said a minute ago, in that whether you agree with 10% of of this or 95% of this, God is calling us to set our sails. And now I would land the plane for me personally that there was God was doing a lot of work, as it sounds like you believe that too, Lane, that God was doing a lot of work over the last few weeks and it was a genuine move of God. But again, I know some people have been more critical, maybe can answer or we can answer a couple of the criticisms here in a minute. But uh fundamentally, uh I believe at least some of this was from God. And I believe that we need to enter in. I need, believe we need to humble ourselves and seek God for what he wants to do in our lives and in our churches. Now, one other thing that you said seemed like, boy, this doesn't sound like man working it up. Um, another example of that is people— immediately that first night, they started staying through the night. Now, not everybody, some people went home, got some sleep, which I think that's a healthy thing to do as well, and then reengage the next day again. But the long and the short of it is I worked with college students full-time for 15 years. And yes, college students can stay up late, and they can go to parties, and they can go late, and they can study, and they can have an all-nighter. But not like this, like... Th- Students don't want to go into a room where nothing's going on and stay there all night. And that caught my attention as well like, wow, God appears to be manifesting in his presence. James 4 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There was something going on uh, in that room. And I heard one testimony, actually, of a faculty person at Asbury, and he was explaining that um, he planned to stop by Hughes Auditorium for 10 minutes. He said he stayed over an hour. And he said this at the end of his testimony. He said, the rest of my life, I will never... Forget that hour. And it wasn't because there's was all kinds of wild things going on. It was because God was being so personal with him and everybody else in the room, drawing near and working in his life. And I thought, wow, um, th- this just does not sound like we're running here on pure emotionalism or some kind of contrived meetings. Of course, there were no smoke machines, but you know, that kind of thing where we try to work it up. It just seemed like there's something more authentic here. And again, I don't want to pass over because I know this is your heart as well, Lane. This repentance piece, that's not typically where feel-good culture, entertainment-driven culture goes. It's, it's like, wow, I am being convicted, and there's stuff in my life, and I need to get right with a holy God.
1: Absolutely. And just, uh, I'll get back to the repentance, but just what you said in my mind was going and thinking, our culture and us in general as people, but especially a younger generation— are easily distracted and they don't have long attention spans, and so you're going to tell me that hundreds, of thousands have gone day after day, night after night, apart from having to leave for a little while, and have spent that much time where there is not something significantly drawing them uh, to Christ. And obviously, the devil wouldn't be doing that. I mean, he's bringing people are coming to worship him, to pray together, to confess sin. Uh, people are being converted and saved. None of that sounds like a counterfeit type of work. Uh, again, so everything to me has, again, there is always flesh, right, mixed in when faulty people are in the presence of God. I mean, that, all revivals are messy in a sense. Um, but as you, as you just brought up, one of the key factors in every historic revival of several, is repentance. And whenever you see that, that is not something that people are going to naturally do. People are not drawn to do that. We all we all want to hide. We're like Adam and Eve. We all want to hide in the garden. We want to cover over our sin in that way. And when people start confessing openly to others what God has convicted them about, that, again, is one of the marks of, I believe, a true work of God.
0: Right. And even Jonathan Edwards in the First Great Awakening said that every true work of God will include repentance and we did see that And it was a little disappointing for me to hear some of the reports and they'd say well people would stand up and give their testimony but they often they didn't actually use the word repentance and this is one of the key things in scripture um so i just want to shift a bit here and let's talk about a few of the the criticisms because um because there was actually a lot out there lane and i will share those with you here, as we go, here. And you can respond <laughs> but one, probably the most outlandish, um, from a, a Christian leader with a reasonable following, at least on online, um, said that this is nothing more than a repentance fest, and was discounting repentance itself. And I was just blown out of my mind lane because I'm like, if you read the scriptures, the one thing that God causes people to do is to humble themselves and repent. And so here they're they're like not taking this seriously as a clear mark of a true work of God. So that was one of the more extreme things um, that I heard. Um, but moving on from there, and you can respond to that, Lane, or I'm going to throw out another one right now, and you can respond to both if you'd like. But there wasn't enough of the Word of God. There also wasn't enough preaching of the gospel. There's not enough people getting saved as well as not enough preaching of the Word. As we know at Asbury, it was this meeting that, begins to grow right after a chapel service with just a few students because most students had left the chapel service. and then, as people come into the auditorium, coming meaning coming back in as they hear that God's doing something, um that there's not like a a leader up there that's like like preaching the word and sh- pointing the way, and it's much more fluid environment than that, so that was another criticism
1: Well, again, I just say study history, right. Every revival has some similarities, and every revival is also very different. And we have, you know, you look back at the first great awakening, and immediately, for those that have studied history, right, certain names come to mind Jonathan Edwards, uh, George Whitfield, uh, John and Charles Wesley, etc. cetera. But you go to the, the third great awakening, let's just say, the great prayer revival that began in New York City. Uh, who are the key per- people there? Well, I'm sure that there were some, but to be honest, I'm a student of revival, and I don't even remember. Or know of names that were there because it was primarily prayer meetings that grew to tens of thousands all across this nation, and God was drawing people in in a different way. But but it's the same God like that. And so uh, to say to look at what happened in Asbury and say, well, I don't see this or that. I, again, I just I discount all that because I want to say, have you been there? Have you walked there and seen and experienced? The presence of God or not? Have you seen firsthand whether or not there's been true repentance or not? You can't have it both ways. There's, I I did hear some criticism. There's not been any focus on repentance, and then you just tell me that there was somebody that said there's nothing but a repentance fest. So, so which is it? You know, so people are taking whatever they see or don't see or whatever, and it's just it's insane. So
0: you've got these armchair quarterbacks out there. Everybody wants to decide, okay, is this revival or not? And you've got all these people on both sides of the equation. And um, actually, there was, again, a, a good bit of negativity out there. And, you know, I just look at this, like Jonathan Edwards, again, who wrote so much during the First Great Awakening, because he was in the center of it, and they were getting pushed at pushback back then, huge criticism about what God was doing. And so we want to be careful, I think, be humble as Christians that we don't jump into that camp of being overly critical, yet we do want to be discerning. And Jonathan Edwards, he steps in the middle of this, and he says, look, some, um, there's this group over here, all of it's from God, this group over here, none of it's from God, and Jonathan Edwards says, some of it is from God. And and it was a huge amount that changed the colonial America and yeah. so forth. And uh, so there's that kind of thing where we all want to be discerning. But what I love about that quote is it, it refers to what you were saying a little, little bit ago, and that is that um, there's people involved, flesh gets involved, but that doesn't mean that we throw the whole thing under the bus. No.
1: And you mentioned a while ago a professor that went, was just going to go in and take a peek and I'm staying for an hour or more and then making the comment, I'll never be the same again. How can you um, quantify and qualify the thousands of people that are going to have that testimony out of this, whose lives were dramatically changed and shifted to be Christocentric in their whole of their life? That, And I don't know 99.9999% of those people. But it's going to—it's ch- not only changing their lives; it's going to change your family. It's going to change the culture, the dynamic of where they are, where they work, where they go to school, and all those factors. And so, again, like you say, for people to sit back as an armchair quarterback when they haven't even been there—number one—I would listen to some criticism from somebody that I had some knowledge of that had been there. But I really am not interested in what people say that have not, who are getting secondhand. Uh, you know, info themselves, and then they're giving it away by whatever they think and adding their comments. The people that I've gone to, like I said, un- unapologetically and across the board unanimously that I, that I know of personally who have a, a filing cabinet for understanding revival but are also theologically solid, uh, those two men particularly that, have, that went there uh, for extended periods of time both have indicated this is exactly what they had experienced decades prior in great movements of God, and they they confirmed at least in their heart and their spirit that this was clearly a work of God. Those are the kind of people I want to listen to, uh, not all the armchair quarterbacks. Their diamond doesn't. So,
0: Lane, why why wouldn't you um, like, or what do you say about that? That there's not like a godly leader a preacher of the word lane you're a preacher of the word uh and you're huge into into the the word and and getting god's word out there like what do you say to that person
1: well again i would say that there are different seasons of revival when god raises up strong individuals to lead there's no doubt about that but i would also say that what ends up happening uh is always going to end up like where John the Baptist got, where he said, I must decrease and he must increase, right? And so the, the purpose of God when he sends revival, at least one of the primary purposes, is always to direct attention to him. And sometimes key people and strong leaders get in the way of that and attention gets on them. So it's no surprise to me that God would do a great work in a movement of his spirit that would draw literally tens of thousands of people and catch their attention. And there wouldn't be a man uh, in the way of looking at God of looking at Christ, which I think is what has happened here. Uh, as you said, it's it's been spontaneous. There's always organization. I mean, behind the scenes, I, I, I had some friends that knew things that were behind the scenes. And just for example, after those first, few days, they had had a hundred different worship teams that had been up there on stage and different mixes, a hundred different mixes of worship team that had been prayed over 30 minutes before they were even allowed to go up there by staff that were picking them back behind the scenes, praying over them for 30 minutes, sending them out into the congregation for 30 minutes, simply to get a sense and a feel of what God was doing before they were even permitted to get up on stage. So, when we talk wow. about spontaneity, some people may think, well who's getting up there? people just getting up there we don 't even know what you know what, where they're coming from There's, no there were there was organization behind the scene, but it wasn't organization of making something happen. It was simply trying to keep up and help facilitate what clearly God was doing because God was taking over this he He began something that one hour chapel service had no intention of going beyond that and messing up their school for the next two weeks with that. Um, So, again, to me, everything that I've read from people that have been there that I respect has the earmarkings of this is a work of God. Again, are there people that are there just spectators? Are there even demon-possessed people that may go there? Because, well, we see that in the New Testament, too, right? One that went along with Paul— uh, announcing that Paul was coming to preach Christ, and Paul finally had to rebuke one. So it's not like there's not going to be evil and wrong motives that are right in the mix of what God is doing, but that doesn't discount that it is a work of God.
0: So when we're looking here, I, again, a lot of a lot of people say, trying to throw in their two cents, like, is this revival or not? I felt like that was almost like a, a scheme of the enemy to get us distracted. God was saying, enter in, I'll show you what's me, you can reject the rest. But there were so many people, and it got, for me anyways, um, having been in revival ministry and uh, having different connections stuff, it actually got exhausting for me to to, to like, do we really need to argue about this? Like, this is revival with a capital R, or is it not because of these various things that the skeptics are saying? And it was like, can we seek God again? If you're even if you're skeptical, I'd want to ask you, how is it going seeking God? Are you humbling yourself individually, corporately with other people, and um and that is so so vital that we're doing this. Um, but Lane, I I got to ask you this one because it's another one that came up in 1995, probably in. Every move of God, and it just came up again in a big way with this Asbury revival. And that is, well, it's just emotionalism. There's people that are, are, are just getting emotional here. What do you say to that?
1: <laughs> I, was, I say that is the concern of a Western mentality that somehow has detached body, soul, and spirit from each other as though we are not emotional creatures. And I think people that bring that up generally forget that God is the one that made us to be who we are and what we're like, which includes our 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 mind and our will and our emotions. He made us to be emotional creatures. So I realize that emotions and emotionalism are different things. But to be honest, again, I, I wasn't there. But the people that I respect that were there, one of the things that all of them said was that this was very low key. There wasn't hype. There wasn't any any observation of what we might call just emotionalism that was going on on there. Uh, You know, when you go that long and you're there night after night, and you've experienced that, I've experienced that for for day after day after day where the presence of God is there. He's so strong. You don't want to not be there, but you have to rest, you have to eat, and then you come back uh, there. (laughs) Do you get emotion? Well, yeah, but you know after a while it's kind of like fasting. After after the original pain of not eating, you just kind of get into a zone of soberness and reality that's deeper than the shallowness that we normally operate with within. And so I I, I don't know how you could not be there day after day after day. Your emo- I'll say I'm only put it this way, your emotions have a limit and before they're strained and drained and absent Uh, And you can just become numb, in a sense. And that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about after some emotions of, wow, this is exciting. I'm sorry, excitement doesn't keep me at a place day after day after day after day after day after day. Emotions don't last that long. There's something much more significant going on.
0: And so um, maybe to add a touch of perspective on that, again, in 1995, I would use that word also, low-key However, the power and presence of God was just just strong and, and uh, amazing and all that stuff, but yet low-key, there wasn't any craziness going on. And um, so I found myself, God penetrating my heart there, and I found myself in absolute tears, uncontrollable, um, uh, confessing, repenting, of unforgiveness that was way deep in my heart, had been there for many, many, many years. And I thought I had confessed it. And in that environment of God's holiness and him working personally with me and many other people, um, he said, you know, you've really not died to this. There's something here and it is toxic and it is hurting your walk with me and it's hurting other people. And he called me in that moment to deal with it and then to go up front publicly. And again, I I'm not really given to tears, but I cried like a three-year-old in front of these group this group publicly, and why does God do these things publicly rather than just alone in our quiet times or something like that? Well, he can do it that way, but I think part of the reason is, is that he wants um, us to be desperate, and he wants us to obey him, and as we go forth publicly, we have that, that public display of God, I don't care what it takes, I'm going to be obedient to you, and I'm going to get this out of my life, and so when I look back on that whole experience that I had, you could say, wow, Dave was emotional. Wow. Maybe even a little over the top there, but wait, wait a second. What was I supposed to do? Was I supposed to uh, not have any emotion? Was I supposed to not have tears? I mean, the living God is dealing with me. It's almost to me, I want to flip this on its head a little bit. It's almost like bizarre to me that you would be actually uh, uh, encountering God And not experience any emotion. Now, it doesn't have to be uh, like I was broken in tears. It could be God's work in your life in some different ways, and there's joy. That's a huge emotional thing, and and Peter talks about this joy inexpressible. Well. Wouldn't that mean that outwardly there might be something going on? It could be smiling. It could be shouting in joy. But there should be joy and expressible should come across, as I'm saying, sorrow. And, of course, there's other emotions as well. And so I'm suggesting that just to write something off as emotional is probably not a good indicator when it comes to the works of God.
1: No, for me, that's almost shallow... And immature to suggest that. And in light of what you just said, I would I would confirm. Again, I'm not an emotional person. I, I could probably count on both hands the times that I've cried in my remembrance anyway in my whole life. Um, but there are certain things that move me deeply, and the things of God move me deeply. And if we who are in part emotional beings are not moved in our minds and our hearts to the degree that affects also our emotions, I would question the legitimacy and the viability of whether or not my mind and heart were really affected with truth, because truth affects our whole being, including our emotions. And so, you know, Jonathan Edwards is known for talking about religious affections a lot. Well, affections, that's a... that's an emotional term, right? Affection, I'm affectionate towards my wife or I have affection towards it. That is a sense, a feeling, right? Now, it's obviously deeper than that, but the depth of how much I love something affects the way that I feel about that and my affections towards something. So it seems impossible, in fact, that God should invade our space and cause us to fall more deeply in love with him and bring us to various degrees of repentance and brokenness, and also joy, and that not come out in obvious, quote, emotional ways. It seems impossible for that not to be affected. Uh,
0: Just in general, I'm just not looking at these criticisms as carrying a lot of weight. Now, of course, everything we've brought up could potentially be an issue, uh, not enough of the word of God, obviously not enough, enough of the gospel, obviously too emotional. Yeah. We can fall off or get in the ditch on either side. But, um, again, I, I've just been surprised about this and, and kind of related to this uh, one person that I know that was there. And also, um, he, he's very thorough with the whole revival piece in the scriptures and in history. He, uh, he said, you know, he, he what he was gathering from various people is that it, this move of God was not charismatic enough for the charismatics, and it was it was not evangelical enough uh, for the evangelicals. And you know it's it's interesting to me that if you look at it through that template, that God shows up and He says, "Look, I'm not fi- fitting here here to fit in your box. I am here to lead you to freedom." And I do want to give a little balance on both sides of that. One is that um, the word was there it wasn't like there was a void of the word many of the students that got up and then others that joined in later many of them as they felt convicted from god were quoting scripture or uh, it was a scriptural reason why they felt convicted and they expressed that and they wanted to repent and then of course we hear the scriptures after repentance about the cleansing uh, of god and all all the truths there in first john 1 9 and elsewhere and so it's like the the there's uh, there's that that whole piece, and yet I think on the charismatic side, you know, if we're looking for some sort of supernatural manifestations, meaning uh, preconceived things like that, or we're looking for signs and wonders, well, we know from the scriptures that God can do those things. But again, I don't think you discount a revival because it's not driven by the supernatural in those kinds of ways, like signs and wonders.
1: No absolutely and and another thing you haven't brought up, Dave uh, and i heard I heard some numerous stories about what we would call something miraculous, whatever I wasn't there, I can't confirm, nor do I need to if it happened, it happened, and it was I believe god if if it didn't then then so be it, but obviously those things, and those have always been what I would call not the major component but more sideline issues of of just the presence of God and what he did, whether that be healings or miracles or what, whatever it may be. But those aren't the foot Christ and the gospel and repentance uh, and prayer have se- seemed to be the primary focus always. And for those that just say, this just happened out of the air, no, nothing happens just out of the air, that kind of spontaneity that we're talking about. I heard two of the students interviewed early on, one, one female and one male. And the guy said, we have been in a group that's been praying for over a month uh, every week we have been praying and asking God to send revival to our campus. The girl said, "We, I've been part of a prayer group with some girls, and we've been praying every week since last August that God would bring revival to our campus. And there's no doubt those that have been there for decades, there are probably some around that area that were there in 1970 that have been praying for over 50 years that God would do it again kind of thing. So it's just in God's timing For whatever reason, only known to God, he picked this time to come down and sit on Asbury. um, And people literally from all over the world came to see and be a part of that. And it's just, it's glorious. Now, again, my hope and burden is that that is only a beginning, right? And that it's going to spread much to to affect this nation. I'm grateful for what God did in those people, but it hasn't touched where I live yet. Uh, in, in any kind of significant way. I'm crying out for the campuses here and for the churches that I'm a part of and aware of that God would so work deeply in us that we would make space and time for him like these students did and like so many other colleges particularly have. But I fear that in our present generation who does not have an understanding of revival because most of them have never seen or tasted or experienced personally revival in any sense so they don't they don't have a file for understanding what's going on with this i'm concerned and burdened that we're not going to give time time and space to say god we want you to in our midst come among us lord
0: so are we going to seek god it's coming back to this again like what are we doing to rearrange our lives our schedules and so forth uh, around god's purposes of god around what God wants to do. And I have felt strongly since February 8th, um, really, I should say, within a few days of February 8th, but I felt strongly that God is drawing near and that we have a choice to make. Are we going to change our lives? Are we going to seek him? Are we going to humble ourselves? And is this going to spread uh, to all 50 states? Is it going to not only affect college campuses, but I know, Lane, you, as you said at your daughter's wedding um, that some pastors texted you and said, wow, God's doing something in my church today. So I know it has hit those churches, of course, but many others as well. But is it going to keep going? And it's my belief that God is, um, is not saving America, but it is my belief um, that he wants to save a lot in America, but he especially wants to revive his church. So both of those things, people coming to faith as well as reviving his church. But I believe he's doing this for a great difficulty that is coming mm-hmm. to America. In other words, we want to be in a revived state full of faith, streams of living water, walking in obedience, holiness, etc. We want to be doing this when this great shaking, this great difficulty comes to America and so I think that uh, I think that w- what you were just saying, it's a huge uh, issue. If we're not right now seeking him, we should always be seeking him anyway. But it's a huge issue, especially right now. If you have a sense, as I do from the Lord, that I, I should say, I believe it's from the Lord, that there will be a great difficulty that comes. But also, um, we just simply want to see God do a great work, and maybe uh, we're— um, disconnected from the great awakenings in America and other moves of God in the, around the world and so forth over the last hundred years, we're just sort of, um, uh, uh, uh disconnected and so that we're not longing. And mm-hmm. boy, if I could, uh, leave one thing here, it's like, uh, just to ask everybody, like, let's long, not just for what God can do, but let's long for him.
1: Yes. uh, I agree, and I've been burdened, as you have for over over a decade now, in an intense way that it's necessary that we as the church and the people of God have a growing degree of desperation for Him in light of where we are as a society. And I, like you, uh, have believed for quite some time that we are on a collision course with the God of the universe and that there is a lot of blood on our hands as a nation and even as a church in many realms of our sin and apathy and complacency and just blatant disregard and rebellion towards the holy god um, and i do believe that he is our greatest threat and he is our only hope and help and to whatever degree god is willing as i have prayed for decades that god would pour forth his spirit and revival and awakening I am begging him more than I have in a very long time Oh God, please, please don't pass us by um, believing that there are going to be some very dark days ahead. And, you know, just reflecting back on the third great awakening in 1857, 1858 and 1859, where there was what, maybe two million people that were brought into the the kingdom and salvation. I mean, there was an impact upon this nation like Just incredible. I mean, every media outlet reported on prayer meeting what God was doing. (laughs) But that was also very close in time preceding, you know, some of the darkest four or five years in American history of the Civil War. Um, And I just I am burdened like you that there is that there are some very difficult times coming uh, that I would call part of the judgment of God upon us. Uh, and that we as a church right now desperately needs to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, and that we need to get right, and we need to seek Him very intentionally.
0: This would be a good time to take a deep dive into the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The five were called to repentance. He who has ears to hear, repent. And it was over very specific sins. And um, anyway, that's what I appreciate about some of the The moves of God that we're talking about here today is that it's been repentance over very specific sins and turning to God and humbling all the stuff. You know, God poses the problem, gives grace to the humble. He gives favor to the humble. And uh, these are the things that I think are such a huge word, especially in the context of what you just said in terms of like judgment. On the horizon, it's kind of strange in a way, Lane, to be talking about this great move of God we've had here, uh, or at least let's say beginnings or nascent uh, a a move of God that we had here in the last few weeks, and yet now we're even talking about this difficulty in potential judgment. And I think one thing that's important to remember in the body of Christ, um, first, what I just said about the churches in Revelation, but secondly that God's last resort is to send final judgment. And I believe when I look at American culture and where it's headed over the last um, uh, many years, I believe that God is fully justified uh, to send America final judgment. However, that's his last resort. He sends corrective judgments, what some have called remedial judgments, and they're like shakings and things like this. And, and a great scripture that helps unpack this is Amos chapter 4, and specifically in verses 6 through 11, it talks about the shakings that God sent to the nation of Israel, and, uh, and yet... They did not respond, and it, those are they were severe shakings. By the way, wh- whether it was um, not having enough food to eat or military conflicts, but these were major shakings. And then in verse twelve of that same chapter, um, God says, "Therefore, prepare to meet your God," mm. meaning I am coming in final judgment. And uh, this is something that I haven't found a lot of. Um, teaching them uh, in terms of just our uh, current version of Christianity. I mean, what I said is scriptural and you can find in history, but the modern day feel or vibe within America is you've got to end everything on, a, a, on a, a positive note on a, uh, you know, it's just, everything's got to end positively. Well, the scriptures don't do that. And I just highlighted this one passage that would say, look, there's serious stuff going on. I think that's a word for America right now that We try to join into what God is doing in humbling us, repenting, being cleansed from the inside out, therefore he'll fill us with his spirit and we can walk in faith, that we take this very, very seriously because the context... I believe we've had many shakings, whether you go back to nine eleven, or you look at the economic crisis in 08 and 09 and, and lingered for years after that, or you look at the more recent COVID situation. I believe there's been many shakings, but I do not believe we've seen the humbling and the repentance in our nation that God has been desiring.
1: No, no, I agree. Um, and just thinking about the Old Testament prophets, I am still amazed at how often though God talks about, I am full of compassion and I want to show you compassion. So even in the midst of judgments, he is desiring to send compassion and has done that over and over. And the biggest times that we would see his compassion are seasons of revival and awakening where we should be getting serious judgment and yet he pours forth his spirit, gives us an opportunity, drawing us back to him uh, and that's why I'm so, I, I think I told you this, I, I told all my family this on a text just a few days into this past, this time of when Asbury began, I said, I am fearful of God coming among us because I know it is uh, traumatic to come face to face with the holy and living God. And yet the benefit of his cleansing nature of what happens in Syria, and as we talked about, open public confessions of sin, uh, just rawness of laying things out there, but I'm also fearful of him not continuing and sending a greater revival, because the consequence of us having seen at a distance this and putting our hands up in some way or simply being critical uh, and not entering in, not seeking him, and Him not continuing to pour forth himself is of greater fear to me that this would not turn into another awakening or revival that would affect our nation.
0: Just as we're talking about America here, I've heard it phrased this way. And that is we think about the cost to see revival, um, prayer, uh, fasting, humbling ourselves, obeying the scriptures, even when it's painful and all these kinds of things and things and, and, and rearranging our schedules, um, like, this is all part of the cost of seeing revival. Um, we need to be seekers of him. Uh, again, James 4, 8, but also Psalms 105 and so forth. And we need to be seeking him wholeheartedly. And the promise in uh, Second Chronicles 15, in the first few verses of that chapter, is that if we seek him, he, he will. He will allow us to find him, and he'll move on behalf of the nation. But what I'm saying is, is that okay, so we have a cost of seeing God move, but what will be the cost for America if we don't see revival? In other words, another great awakening, where God's moving in revival within his church an awakening in broader culture and people are coming to faith. Like, where is our nation going to end up? So again, what's the price of not seeing God move?
1: Yeah, desperation for him, as you just mentioned, of fasting, prayer, Getting out of our normal routines of comfort there yeah that's a price tag of desperation, but destruction of us and our sin has a much higher price tag for us and our children's children um and again it it's much more fearful to think of judgment than it is to think of god's um discipline that brings us back to our senses in that um it's, it's sobering. It is oh.
0: compounded a bit here. I, um, if I can just interject briefly, it is a bit compounded here in America because, uh, as Dr. Erwin Lutzer says, that God judges nations by, based upon how much spiritual light yeah. and opportunity they've been given. And we're known as the land of opportunity throughout our history, and we've been blessed with so much. And yet, it's not just material blessings and so forth. But it is that we've been blessed with the Word of God, and everybody has had access to the Bible And today, as many translations as you want to look at as well, as conferences in a church on every street corner. It, if God judges nations based on how much spiritual light and opportunity they've been given, where does that leave us?
1: Oh, well, we're at the, we're at the very top of um, who will be judged then, because as you just mentioned, to him who has given much, as Jesus said, much is required. And there has been an unbelievable amount of, of knowledge, of light, of insight that has been given to us, but we have trampled upon it over these last few decades in ways that is just really hard. Our forefathers would be obviously turn over in their grave if they would have known what they gave themselves for to see what we have become. Uh, it's just, it's hideous. It's an abomination. And... There is a great deal of repentance that still must take place, I believe, if there is any hope uh, of restoration with us. So,
0: Lane, um, very sobering. But it, as you you said, God is our only hope as well. It's our greatest threat, but our own, own, only hope as well. And the uh, it's like we're really, I think, in this conversation, we're really uh, highlighting the need to take both things really seriously, like, wow, the the joy, the excitement of seeing God work in our midst and freeing us and seeing people come to faith and to see us have those streams of living water that Jesus promised. But at the same time, the sobriety of where our nation is at. And again, as I said a little bit ago, bringing those two things together, um, I believe that we need to be revived. We we should be desperate, not only as you just referred to, that God can destroy entire nations, he can destroy us. We see this biblically, of course. But that these shakings, the greater difficulties ahead, they require that we're revived, that we're walking with God in a way that's powerful. And so, um, you know, that's... That's really where I'm I'm burdened. I'm burdened on both sides of this. And so on the one hand, I'm crying out for mercy for our nation, and on the other hand, I'm crying out for revival and for us to see and experience everything that we've, uh, that we've longed for, um, of course, rooted in the scriptures as well as seen throughout history. And so I believe in this day and hour, if we can move into both of these realms and not see them as mutually exclusive, I think this is a... a uh, it's a burden on my heart, but I think it's con- it, it, I believe this is what God would have for us. It's, uh, it's like Jesus' ministry. He's out seeing all these miracles happen, but at the same time, he knows he's facing the cross. And then from that point on, we see both things going on throughout the book of Acts, where there is great difficulty throughout the book of Acts, as well as we see God moving in power. And I think if we can again bring these two things together— I at least personally believe that this is uh, not only scriptural, uh, of course, I believe it is, but that it's what God's um, uh, pushing us into in a way, even right now, today.
1: Yes, I agree, brother. Um, These are interesting times that we live in. I believe that we're going to see some things in the near future that nobody could have possibly imagined, uh, both marvelous and great things, and also very dark things. And if there's ever a time in my estimation, and I think you were on the same page that the church and the bride needs to be at its sharpest uh, and most attentive, um, certainly in our lifetime, it's, it, it's now in light of where we are and what's happening.
0: So in, in terms of like the practical way forward, I think we've already um, implied or stated a number of things here during our conversation. And, um, uh, of course, again, focusing on humility, focusing on repentance, having a, a clean heart, becoming revived, um, making space for God, I think would be another thing that I'd want to include here, meaning let's not schedule him in a way, even on Sunday mornings, church services, uh, other meetings, gatherings, small groups, Bible studies, let's not schedule it such that he is not invited to move in our midst, that we're not, we're, we're, uh, not, uh, allowing in the moment for God to do what he wants to do. One thing when you're around these moves of God, it becomes clear that God often has other things planned than what we have planned. And so even, um, if, if any pastors are listening to this, that, that can you set the table? Can you lead people towards humility, repentance, uh, uh the concerns that are on our nation, uh, for our nation and so forth. And then can you just, uh, provide the environment for God for God to move and to move within the people rather than um, dismissing them and we all head to the parking
1: lot. Yes, I've, I've had that exact discussion multiple times, sometimes obnoxiously so on my part, because I've been so burdened uh, just over the last two or three weeks about this very issue. So I've, I've spoken this with some church leaders and uh, some pastors, but other leaders and uh, friends of mine, or whatever. Just th- this burden that we we are very bad at scheduling things that that provide opportunity and show desire that God, we want to be on your time schedule, and we want most of all your nearness and your presence among us. Um, we the way that we end services, the way that we do benedictions is, I believe, often just a quenching and a grieving of the Spirit. Um, and if, unless there's a change in that, in the way that we do life as a church, uh, and the, the churches that do change, I, I believe God is revealing himself to them because it shows that they want him more than they want lunch on Sunday or that they want to go to the next thing that's on their schedule or what they've wanted to do in the app. You know, we're, we're, we're so, our, our society is so self-absorbed. It's all about us. And, and revival is all about God. And those two just, they don't mingle very well, right? And so we can say we want revival, but if we're not willing to pay the price and say, God, we don't want to be done here until you're done. And again, I know that's subjective. And I'm not talking about drawing out services or meetings just for the sake of drawing them out. But man, our forefathers didn't have a problem having tarrying meetings. They tarried in order to wait and see if God would come upon them. <laughs> we're not about tarrying. We're about hurrying. Uh, everything is on a, the next thing to do. And we've got, we've got to move on in that. And I'm, I believe fully if we're going to move on, then God will let us to our detriment.
0: And just in closing, Lane, well said, by the way, and in closing, I just want to remind us in this podcast, just the emphasis of let's rearrange ourselves to enter in with what God is doing. Uh, He'll show us. What's of him and what's air, and we can easily reject the air. But let's have a humble posture to enter in to what we believe God is doing, and as we we go, sort it out through the scriptures and through interacting with other godly people and get understand what God's doing to move forward, but also to leave the chaff out of the whole equation the best that we can. And so, uh, I again, I'm, I'm burdened. Are we still sitting back? in our armchairs, and we're decreeing from on high whether we believe this is actually this genuine work of God, and now we get 100% behind it, or we decree that this is false and wrong and there's too many negatives here, and we're we're just simply going to reject it and dismiss it. Or can we say, God, I'm here to follow you, and I think I see some things here that are from you, and I am seeking you. Please work in my heart, my family, my church, my community. Lord, we need you. We want you to do this work here. God, lead us as we go. And I think if we can have this posture and quit arguing about, uh, is this a a big R revival and is the Great Awakening here or not, and we walk with God, I believe he's going to show us the way. And so, Lane, thank you for joining me here again today. So grateful for you.
1: You're welcome, brother. It's always a delight to be with you and talk about serious matters of life and eternity.
0: And I hope it's been helpful for you, too, to be part of this conversation. Please make a comment, like, and subscribe. Get this out to more people so that we don't see this divine moment pass America by. I look forward to being with you next time on Insights.